This is One Red Shoe. I'm Troy Foster, and on this episode, we're talking to John O'Kleinsmith of the band McQueen about a whole bunch of stuff, including his decision to distribute his latest release, Night Moves, on cassette tape. Yes, that's what those weird noises at the start of the episode were all about. You're welcome. Jono is a multi-instrumentalist and has been involved with a range of different acts, including No Action and Post-War. His work covers a range of styles and genres. He's also experienced the transition of music distribution across various media and onto streaming services. On this episode, we talk to Jono about all of this, as well as his passion for all things music and more. You can catch Jono performing live with McQueen on Thursday the 13th of December at 9pm at the Hotel Metro with PI Network Deluxe and Mystery Sea Creature, and on Wednesday the 9th of January at the Crown and Anchor Hotel with Contact Love and Mount Seldom. Okay, let's get on with it. Welcome to the show, Jono. Thank you, Troy. It's good to be here. That's great to have you on, man. I've been listening to bits and pieces of McQueen on SoundCloud. Oh, man. So I've been pretty excited to it's... get you to sit down and explain to me what the hell is going on. Uh, it's all bits and pieces. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I, cool. I started off, I listened to the first couple of tracks and I thought I had a handle on what you were doing. Okay. And then um, I listened to the ambient one. Oh, yeah. They, what is it? God? Uh, Godhead. Godhead. I, I don't know. The SoundCloud changes a lot. So I think the one up there at the moment is called Godhead. Uh, put one up along with it called Holy Comet that I think both of them I was, I don't know, I was listening to a lot of black metal. So, <laughs> so I put them up and I was like, yeah, all right, that's cool. Like, I'm pretty happy with that. And then I got all these friends being like, is this the new direction? Like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, So I think one of them I've taken down and I've left the ambient one up. So let's put you on the spot then. Right, sure, sorry. I'm who, rambling who, on already. <laughs> no, that's great, man. Like, who and what is McQueen? Okay, so McQueen is me. My name's John O'Klein Smith. And it's sort of my musical notebook. Uh, I play drums and guitar and various other instruments in other bands. But I love to write songs and I love to record them, really, in music. That's sort of my passion. And so during a week, I'll just churn out a bunch of ideas. And some of them I'll chip away at and work on. And that's what McQueen is. Um, so really, it's sort of just a format for me to write songs and put them out into the world. So so how did that start? Is that something that's progressed over time? Yeah, sure. So I used to do solo stuff under the name Enthusiasm Police. And that was... <laughs> not, Great name. Yeah, thanks. This was before Curb Your Enthusiasm as well. Like, and I feel like that really rode on my coattails a lot. <laughs> but like, whatever. Like, I guess Larry if you're Larry David. David, it's easy to be famous and have everybody listen to you. But um, Enthusiasm Police was just me playing ukulele with a toy keyboard as well. And that was really the first experience I had writing songs. You're frowning at me like you have something to say. No, no. No, it's really interesting. Okay, cool. Um, so it was just this cheap Yamaha toy keyboard that I've still got. I quite like it. It has some really nice organ sounds on it, like real warm, which is surprising because it's. Uh, I got it for like 15 bucks from a you know reject shop somewhere. Um, but it was that and a ukulele, a real cheap ukulele, and I wrote a bunch of very short sort of easy to listen to pop songs. And this was sort of a bit 
part of when me and my friends were all sort of trying to do novelty bands, I guess is what we were calling them. And they were all kind of just throwaway songs where we would try out ideas for a band. So there was one band called, we would all start bands. And this was back when MySpace was a thing. Oh man, this is a weird tangent. I'm sorry to spend so so much. So that was yesterday. Yeah, that that was yesterday. (laughs) This was when MySpace was a thing. But okay, so if you were a band on MySpace, you could upload four songs and that would be the four feature songs. Now you could upload more than that, but they'd get buried somewhere in the queue. So we made all these rules. You had to create a band and it could only make four songs and then you could play four shows and you had to break up after that and so this was just me and my stupid friends like out in our garage so the shows were just like yeah on a weekend like come around to our place and we'll get drunk and we'll try and play these awful songs um so enthusiasm police started off like that but i immediately wrote 10 songs and put out like a little cdr like all printed up and that was good fun i printed up some shirts and they they sold okay which was surprising to me because they were shockingly ugly ugly (laughs) ugly shirts but um there was another band called starlight lucifer and that was like a space rock opera band and that was good fun there was one called the bruce which was all sort of like australiana outback tales that was ridiculous um there were these two guys that did uh Oh, so these aren't all you? No, 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 these aren't all me. These aren't all me. I, like, was good friends with them and I helped out where I could. But um, there were two guys that did, like, rap music under the name The Funkadelic Fret Fathers. And they were terrific. Like, really, really good. And a friend of mine did a whole, like, really oddball sort of outsider rap CD called MC Delicious. Um, That was bizarre. And, like... I don't know, for me, that was a very fertile period of creativity because we were just doing whatever we could and, like, we'd have fun with it. So it was just like, well, this is awful, but, you know, whatever. We'll give it a shot and, like, churn it out and make something. And if it sucks, then that's fine. We'll do four songs and then we'll do another band and it'll be something completely different. Anyway, so by way of that, I started writing songs sort of on my own as Enthusiasm Police, and I wrote a song that I was pretty happy with called Bake Sale, which is all about falling in love at a bake sale and lying to a girl to impress her. Um, as you do. As you, as you do. At a bake sale. This is, you know, I wrote songs that speak to the common man. <laughs> this is really stuff that everybody can, uh, you know, relate to. So I wrote that, and that was good fun. I started playing shows as Enthusiasm Police, like, semi-frequently but for me it always had a sort of jokey context to it and I wanted to get away from that so I put out a couple of semi-serious tapes under the enthusiasm police name and it just didn't fit for me it felt kind of weird um so then I started doing really deliberately sort of harsh dissonant noise stuff and I did a couple of tapes under the name McQueen um and sort of that's where it started as a really deliberate attempt to sort of get away from I guess not being perceived as a joke but being uh I didn't feel there was a place within what I had done in Enthusiasm Police to write something that was deliberately quite distressing (laughs) 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 like you know uh, something a bit more serious and a bit more uh melancholy maybe so how long ago was that uh that would have been 2009 I think was when I did the first McQueen tape and that was two-sided tape called In Tibet and there was uh like both just really blown out guitar, wall of noise sort of stuff. I do not have any copies of the tape left. The artwork was uh, like just a black thumbprint and then handwriting like on the back. It was very minimal and probably, you know, if you see one for 20 cents, like <laughs> overpriced. <laughs> so, yeah. It sounds it sounds a little like uh, Lou Reed metal machine music. Yeah, sure. You know, you've yeah, heard uh, that? yeah, I love Lou Reed. Yeah. Have you listened to that album? I have. I've never listened to it. Is, oh, it. is it listenable? Yeah, absolutely. 
you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> a big caveat to any listener. If I recommend you some music, like I have no discernment. I generally find something likable in everything. Generally. There's not a lot of music that I can't stand. Well, you you turned me on to Glenn Campbell. Oh, hey, I love Glenn Campbell. Yeah. I'd, I'd, uh, the Wichita linesman. Between him and Jimmy Webb, yeah. they convinced me to give him a go. How and, are you? And I quite like uh, by the time I get to Phoenix. And yeah, sure. Yeah. R.I.P. He died last year, was it? Relative. Last year. Last year, maybe early this year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's fantastic. But yeah, like, yeah, it, for me, it, it really demanded that I open my mind. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, I think there's some music that does that, you know? I think. Well, I, I, I have to, um, full disclosure, the reason why I, I had a bit of consternation about um, Glenn Campbell was because. When I was learning to play guitar, I had to play Georgia on my mind. Oh, wow. Like sight red. <laughs> and it was just felt like the worst kind of torture. Because yeah. all I wanted to play was Bon Jovi. Did you wake up in the middle of the night like, or you have to play that song like, <laughs> yeah. um, I'm not wearing any pants. Like, you know, <laughs> it's just this nightmare situation. Well, it was kind of like a, um, the, the relationship between me and the teacher because he was a proficient Joe's guitarist yeah, yeah. and trying to teach some guy who just wanted to play Want a Dead or Alive by Bon Jovi and him sort of thinking like, gee, why don't you set the bar a bit? Yeah. <laughs> it's just a little bit higher. Well, we could start with Time of Your Life by Green Day. That's fine, you know. <laughs> um, that's an interesting timeline. So how do you – was that home recording? Yes. Uh, 99.9% of the McQueen stuff I do is recorded at home. Um I have a couple of mics that I'll set up. The hardest thing to record at home is drums. To get a decent sound out of a drum kit at home is pretty hard. So if I want a good drum sound, I'll have to book out a studio and either take my kit and record it myself or I'll get somebody else to record it. But that can get expensive. I'm all about frugality in the McQueen band. (laughs) You don't um, program drums at all? Uh, Sometimes, yeah. So I've got a couple of loop pedals and I find them really helpful. And recently a friend gave me a very good sampler that I'm sort of getting to grips with and hanging out with. Um, sampling, I thought it would be something that's very easy, but you really have to treat it as a whole different instrument. It's really um, the way you use them is really dense and they're sort of, they use completely different terminology than I'm used to. So you've got like a sequence and a program and a, uh, something else. I can't remember. I'm quite bad at it still. Um, yeah, like getting my head around that is sort of opening up a, up a bunch of possibilities. Yeah, right. Samples and stuff. So that's good fun. So I find that for the solo artist that's working out of the bedroom, the, the, the bedroom or mm. the living room, as the case may be, uh, the drums is the the hardest nut to crack. Yeah, and I have noticed, like, uh, you see a lot of guitar players um, when they do a solo record, they'll play bass, guitar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if it's Tony McAlpine, you'll throw keyboards and whatever else in there, and then they'll go drummer. Yeah, it, yeah, like everything but the drums. I. I'm in a good position because I can, I was, uh, you know, I'm traditionally a drummer. That was the main instrument I learned growing up. I learned piano, then drums. And then as part of my drum studies, they're like, no, you have to play an instrument that can play notes. So I ended up doing a bit of keyboard as well, um, like more piano. And then I self-taught guitar along the way. I've never really had any formal guitar training. Okay. But um, yeah, I grew up doing drums. So as far as playing it goes, I'm incredibly comfortable playing drums. So was piano a choice or a... Uh, piano, a choice by my parents. Right, yeah. <laughs> Foisted upon me. No, um, but it, it was a good one. I, yeah. I say that with no resentment whatsoever. I think 
it was fantastic. Like I thank them very much for the piano lessons. To be How honest. long did you stick at piano for? I oh, a long time. I went through. When did I start? I would have started in primary school sometime earlier than I can remember. Um, and I went to about year nine in high school when I stopped doing oh. that. Yeah, so a fair while. Um, I'm quite bad at piano these days. I can make chord shapes and stuff. I can't sight read really at all. Um, or like not with any degree of speed. I can sight read like somebody deciphering Morse code. Like I sit down with a pen and paper and I'm like, I think that's this. And then, but when you play it and it sounds right, that's that's what you're aiming for. I bailed out when they had the little notes in the side that tells you what scale it is or what oh, key it the, is. Yeah, the sharps and the flats. It's like, it's, no, that broke my brain. No, it's <laughs> that's too much. I could, no. Okay, so after high school, I did um, a diploma of music studies, which was... Uh, all about music performance, but you pick up a lot of sort of music theory as part of that um, because they try and encourage you to sight read and they'll give you music. Sight reading for drums is incredibly easy. There's only, because it's, you know, oh, this means bat and that means boom and this means like, it's all very straightforward. Um, Sight reading for piano just does my head in. And then they started talking about modes. So like in a major key, like you'd know a major key, like da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. That's gonna sorry, sorry, dear listener, but that was me doing a major key. <laughs> sorry, deep, my deep apologies. Um, but then you've got like mixolydian modes, um, which means if you played that scale starting on the fifth note of that scale and played it through to the fifth note, that would be its own mode. And so each key has, I guess it's got uh, 11 modes because you can play 11 keys in that scale. And anyway, you're starting to sound like Steve Vai. Oh, to yeah. me now oh, it's no. like mixolydian yeah. that's a word steve i would use yeah of course it is i can't remember any other others mixolydian's the easiest aeolian one. yeah uh, aeolian. lots of very that's difficult one. to pronounce words you're already a better music theorist than i am so. oh, yeah. <laughs> i think i think i've just got recall on the words not on the concepts no, that's that's all you need <laughs> it's a good starting point um so you've got all that sort of stuff and you start to get your head around it. i think for me, the easiest starting point is the ear. Like, if it sounds good, then it is good. That's, yeah. How did you transition to drums from piano? Uh, <laughs> what's the phrase? Smash cut. Like, smash, smash cut. cut to drums. No, I said I was sick of learning piano to my parents, and they're like, well, you have to keep learning an instrument. And I was like, oh, I don't want to, but good on them for forcing me to. So I said, I want to learn drums because I thought it would be a cool instrument to learn. It is labor intensive. There isn't. It is so much work, but it's so fun. I think because I had done piano stuff beforehand, I already had an ear in place to start hearing what the drums were doing in other songs. So I'd listen to songs and I'd be like, oh, it sounds like the drums are doing this. Um, a really good one for learning drums is Come Out and Play by The Offspring. That's, okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a great song for starting out because the drummer actually does some weird stuff. Like there's a little hook that he does where he taps on like the edge of the hi-hat metal, like on the metal pole in the middle of the hi-hats. Rather yeah, than like, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like it's a really prominent hook and it's a weird thing. It's a really simple beat. It's just a weird little thing, but it sort of opens up like if it's the first song you learn on drums, it opens up just a world of like, oh, wow, I can do this on the drums. I can start doing that. And that's that's valid. I can hit whatever I want on the drum kit, you know? Yeah, yeah. I saw um, Midnight Oil when they toured. Was that last year or earlier this year? Anyway, um, and, and he's playing like the rainwater tank and mm. all sorts of weird and interesting things. Yeah, like drummer from Fugazi had a gong Joe Lally, I think it was, had a gong behind him. And so like every so often he's like just this <laughs> off in the background. And it sounds terrific. Well, I have to say that 
being a lead guitarist for a large section of my life I didn't even hear drums I'm yeah. pretty sure I didn't even know there were drums in a lot of songs yeah. um, how did I stay in time that's a question for another time but you put me on to uh, gave me that insight into Deep Purple that kind of unlocked that band for me oh okay sure um, you know what, what's the that, big deal about Deep Purple it's like check out Ian Pace's drumming man, that is a drummer's band you're like Wow. On their good records, that is a drummer's band, like Ian Pace and Richie Blackmore and that band just shred the whole time. And like suddenly you're like, okay, I get it. Like yeah. it's just it's magic now, you know? Yeah. And a good drummer live, like, oh, for me there's nothing better than watching a good drummer. Like somebody who just they don't have to be flashy or complicated, but somebody that just locks into the pocket. Like rock and roll is built on good drums. Yeah. So, yeah. That's yeah, I don't know. I'm not the first person to say that, but I definitely believe it. It's funny. Once you start to get into that, um, you go down that rabbit hole and you start noticing drums mm. and then start actually having an opinion on it. Um, it's, it's weird. Quite, it's quite interesting because, um, and, and for me, that's come from uh, programming drums for my own stuff. Oh, okay, sure. Um, I'll let others be the judge of how successful that's been. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, sort of like, oh, that, that, that's why they're doing that. And I actually had to get the drummer from one of my old bands to explain to me, like, what what are the drums actually doing? Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like, oh. Like, I'm a bad person to talk about this because I can't hear it without hearing the drums these days. Like, that's just sort of what I immediately start listening to when I listen to music. It's the first thing I hear. But um, I imagine... Like you would just hear it as sort of low and high accents. Like you'd hear do 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 And you don't identify that as like uh, three kicks and a snare, but that's exactly what it is. Like you would just hear it as that rhythm. You would hear rhythm rather than drums. Yes. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And, and I think um, when I first started to get into the samples and all that sort of thing and trying to mix my own drum stuff happening, make my own drum stuff happen, mm. I approached it like a lead guitarist. So you had like, it's like, okay, so this is what Ingve Mumsley might sound like if he was a drummer. <laughs> Sounds amazing. <laughs> Would a hundred percent buy that record. <laughs> Don't need the receipt. Throw it out. It's fine. I'm keeping this record forever. Uh, it was yeah, it was quite a revelation to find out. No, just keep time. Mm. Might be a good place to start. Yeah, yeah. It's- Kick and snare, that's all you need. Uh, actually, the, the thing that motivated me to learn how to program drums was the um, built-in metronomes. Oh, okay, sure. Like, why do they have to be the world's most irritating sound? <laughs> Man, they are so very annoying. I'm going to play along to the metronome and I won't need to program oh, drums. When you've got, like, a great metronome and it's just like... But then that fourth hit is always, like, the most annoying sound they can get. So it's like... Just this obnoxious scatter it's fantastic i love metronome uh, <laughs> my, my favorite musical instrument is the metronome <laughs> so what is the process for while well, we're talking about uh, the technology and how yeah, it all sure. goes together so what's that process for producing a queen song i mean you covered it a little bit earlier mm-hmm. um do you have a set process or um, not really i'll jump in wherever so if uh okay a good example is a recent tape i did uh the night moves tape um, this isn't a plug, but I have a new <laughs> a tape. plug away. I, yeah, I, I have a new tape, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and for nine ninety nine, no. Uh, so a good example with that is I went to a studio and ended up just recording a bunch of drums, and some of them were for a friend's project. I was like, okay, I'll just record like whatever drums, and you can take them and chop them up and do whatever you want with them. Um, 
but then I had them as well. So I ended up taking just samples of them and grouping them and I like, arranged them like a metronome. And that way I can just jam to them and play them out. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I had a foundation there of rhythms that I could play stuff over the top with. And I ended up with a couple of songs from that. Um, so that's an example of one. Another couple of songs like uh, with that ambient one, that's two-second sample from a song from the Chinatown soundtrack. It starts off with that, and it's just slowed down, put through a bunch of reverb, and then repeated and tone-shifted ad, ad nauseum, and then I play guitar over the top. So it's just finding sounds I like and messing around with them and then thinking, well, that might work as a song this way or that might not. But sometimes I'd abandon it as a song as well um, and just leave it as sound because I think sound is nice. Is that how is that different from um, other projects like No Action or Post War? Okay, sure. So uh, Post War is very deliberate sort of songwriting. Um, Post War is a band I played guitar in. Sorry, uh, explain to the audience at home who Post War is. Uh, Post <laughs> Post War <laughs> Post War is a band that I played uh, guitar in and sang songs in. Uh, it was sort of a not a pavement ripoff band, but pavement was a massive influence on that band. Um, so we very deliberately I tried to write sort of big rock hooks on guitar and that was semi-successful but that was sort of the basis for songwriting there um so I would try and write a big rock hook and like a vocal that matched that and go from there that was the foundation whereas like uh, with McQueen, it'll it'll be anything. So I noticed you use past tense then. So there's no- oh, no, only past tense because uh, we haven't done anything for a while okay. as far as post war goes. Sort of dormant would be a better phrase yep. for it. Not dead. Um, there's two guys in that band who I've sort of fallen out of touch with, but I need to get back in touch with. Uh, if you're listening, uh, please, <laughs> I'll, I'll write you a letter. Um, but. Yeah, uh, like I'm really keen to get stuff going with that again. We've got about two-thirds of an album written that hasn't seen the light of day, and some of it I think is very good. I want to go back and polish up a bit of the rest of it. Yeah, right. Yeah. I think, I mean, that was one of the other questions I was going to ask is, um, I know Eddie Trunk talks about this a lot, um, about people that are in multiple bands, mm-hmm. and he sort of bemoans the fact because it's like you never know which band they're going to be in and yeah, yeah. where to focus your attention. But um, So what are some of the pros and cons from your point of view? for being in multiple bands? Uh, pros and cons for me is it sort of with other projects, uh, like post-war for me, I feel a lot of pressure in that band, which isn't a bad thing. That's not a complaint from me. But if you're writing songs and singing in it, like that, that's a lot of work. Um, and so that's probably a big reason why that's fallen dormant. I just haven't had the energy to put work into that. McQueen, right. to me, isn't a lot of work because I can throw whatever ideas against the wall in that and like that's the band for me. It's just ideas. Like it can be as high or as low concept as I want it to be, but post-war has a very deliberate sort of writing style. Um, no Action is a really easy band to be a part of because everybody in that band has sort of grown at the same pace. Right. Um, I'm just the drummer in No Action, so I show up and like one of the dudes will have a riff and they'll be like, I'll oh, do some drums for this. I'll be like, all right, how's this? And they'll be like, no, I'll change it, do that. So I get a fair bit of instruction in that band, okay. which is which is really good. Like I'd, I'd rather have that because... Like if they can, if they have an idea in mind that I can help bring to life, then fantastic. Oh, a hundred percent, throw myself into that. Um, that band, the bass player and the guitarist Nick and John, uh, they both write most of the riffs and stuff for that. I just show up and drum. Okay. At the same time, I've put some riffs forward for that that we've used um, and turned into songs. But you know, 
if we're generalizing the bulk of material is written by them and then me and lewis will lewis is the singer lewis will write vocals and i'll sort of do drums with them and help them pad out the riffs and the song structure as we go it is collaborative but they come in with that seed of an idea right yeah right so so from your point of view it's um they're different aspects of musicality for you yeah for sure well it's different aspects of just working with other people really right um mcqueen has the benefit of i can be a dictator to the other people that i play with um but post-war like it's me figuring out okay if i were to get uh alex to do a bass line like this and i did this over the top would that sound any good or if i did this guitar if would Braden have a cool drum part to play with that uh with no action they'll bring in songs and I'll be like, yeah, all right, what if I try doing drums like this underneath? And they'll be like, no, do it faster, do it slower. And I'll be like, all right, I'll try that out. And Yeah. It's all just different relationships with people. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's interesting. It's almost like... Yeah. That's it. It all, it all changes as well. Like, No Action is writing stuff at the moment. Our current... <laughs> we've nearly finished a second album, which is bizarre because that band is, like, lazy to the extreme. Like, we all work full-time. We've all got, like, other bands and Nick works at Flinders and Lewis lives out in Wyala. Um, so, like, you know, we're pretty spread out. But uh, we'll meet together every, say, two months or so. And we'll book out a studio. We'll write and jam three or four songs, like, in that session. And, like, we'll just run them until we've sort of got a bed track ready. Then we'll record bass and drums and record the guitar as well. But maybe John will come back and overdub that later. But that forms the basis of your album. Right. Um, so it's just really sort of staggered, like, okay, this night we're going to try and write three or four songs. And we do it like that and it seems to be working. But this is new for us. Like, who right. knows? So in, in a year or so, we might all be living closer together and in a better space. And we might say, okay, let's jam like every night for two weeks and see what comes out of that. And that'll be different again. So there's no set plans on the horizon with no action? Uh, we've, sort uh, of. I think the rest of the band is going to do some touring in Melbourne and Sydney in January. I will be on holiday in Bali. So they're going to have a ring-in drummer for those. But we'll have a second album out next year. Oh, cool. Yeah, which is exciting. It, it was really weird because we spent like five years recording the other one. And <laughs> now we've got this really cooked second album that like... I don't know. I'm really happy with it. It's weird though. So yeah, we'll see what people think. That's cool, man. Mm. No, I still, I, I still listen to my no action vinyl. Oh, I've got it there in my collection. Thank you. I'd love to be able to name drop one of the songs, but uh, I can't remember cool. which is the song I really, really dig. <laughs> yeah. That's nice of you. Thanks. I've, I've turned into one of those. I know the, I know the, I know the songs when I hear them. No, I don't know the name. Yeah, I, <laughs> it's all sounds. I don't know names of songs anymore. All right, now I'm going to do a um, a hard turn. Oh gosh! Into back into McQueen. Oh yeah, sure. And that's what we're here to talk about. Cassette. Oh dear. Explain yourself, young man. Okay. Why Why do I have a cassette tape in front uh, of me? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, nostalgia. I guess I love tapes. Um, I listen to tapes quite a bit. I've got a Walkman at home that I plug into my stereo and I listen to them. Uh, I don't know. Punk bands never, like, at heart, McQueen is definitely a punk band, I think. Um, well, punk in the in, in the original sense, I guess. Oh, the DIY. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. A DIY band is a better way of putting it because yeah. we don't really sound like a punk band. Well, it wasn't ever supposed to be a no, genre or a sound, but we, we could talk about we, that for a good hour or two. That's another podcast. That's <laughs> the. I don't know what podcast that is. It's not this one. Um, what is punk? The Punk is Dead podcast. Um, <laughs> punk cast. Uh, okay, so the tape. 
yeah, I just like DIY stuff. And a lot of punk bands and independent musicians seem to be doing tapes um, these days. So I thought, ooh, I'll jump in on that. Um, I'll do a tape. And originally I was just going to record, say, like 25 onto recycled tapes. So tapes that I found at op shops and I'd just dub, you know, you'd get probably different lengths each time, but it would be the same general music. So I was going to do that initially, and then I couldn't find anything that would record tapes in my house like at all. So I've got stuff that can play tapes. I can listen to them ter- terrifically, but I can't dub onto a tape at home at the moment. That's dri- driving me absolutely up the wall. So I thought, ah, oh, forget it. And I like got in touch with a friend. I was like, okay, cool. Like, just order some blank tapes. Can you duplicate these for me? He's like, yeah, do that and give me some money. I'm like, yeah, sure. Uh, I'll pay you to do that for me. That's not really very DIY when you pay somebody else to do, <laughs> to do your dirty work. Uh, don't tell anybody else about that. Um, but did all that. Then I printed off all the covers and chopped them up in my lounge room, stuck all the labels on, printed them. Um, yeah, and that's that. That's how you do a tape, I guess. It, But I think there's, weirdly, uh, there's a nostalgia boom for tape at the moment. I Is this something you've... Noticed? Is this weird to you? Um, uh, I'll have to raise the dreaded Sorry, H no. word, uh, no. the, the hipster. Um, I, uh, it, it does seem to be one of those peripheral things where I, I guess it's probably that sort of um, that knock-on effect of now that vinyl's becoming mainstream, Yeah, the people that are looking for cool and edgy and different things to be doing are probably looking a little bit further out again. Yeah, for sure. Um I mean that's 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 a oh, oh, what's what's that fancy word that I learnt recently? Um, it's, it's I mean that sounds almost derogatory. But, no, no, no. Uh, but um, the funny thing that's happened for me is like you say you've got this on cassette, and I'm like I'll have to pull my cassette player out. I pull out my bag of cassettes, and it's there's revelations in there. Yeah, like of I've course. been looking for Lizzie Borden's Master of Disguise on vinyl, <laughs> and, now you got and I look in my tape. cassette that pile and go. I do not remember owning this album. Yeah, but now you've got to, I swear to I play it on, you know. I didn't think <laughs> I owned it. Yeah. Well, I think tape never really went away. I mean, neither did vinyl as well, but that's sort of having a moment again. Um, I, I think, look, this is probably all due to the internet, really, if you trace it back. Like, you've got a really easy way to spread digital media, and so the actual music itself, hearing it, like, you can hear this tape I've put out. You can hear it on the internet. You can hear it digitally. It comes with a download code. I'm really not particular about the actual format. I'm not precious about that. But it's it's a nice package. It's nice to have, like, a physical thing to hold, and I think I've put a bit of time into it. So it's, I, I don't know. I feel a bit precious about it, but at the same time, I think, like, fetishizing, like, a format. I think a lot of people do it with records at the moment. I think making that the focus sort of misses the point. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd rather people were just able to listen to it. But if they want to buy something, I want them to have something cool to buy. I want them to feel like there's not anything, you know, there's something that they can get off of me. They can give me I want the I want them to give me money. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I'm trying to cash in desperately. There is no. That. I feel like if they want to buy something off me, I want it to feel like something that's got a bit of heart in it and something a bit odd and off-kilter that They'll yeah, like pay cool. attention to. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. All right. Yeah, well, I mean, I feel like I, I'm getting away from it a bit, but like the real purpose of it is just get the songs out there, and like I want people to feel like they've related to me in some way via this music. 
Um, and so if that means like I sell them a tape and they're like, wow, I haven't seen a tape for years, then fantastic. That's terrific. It makes them think about what they're buying a bit more as well rather than just buying another record from a band. Well, I think that's what dragged me back to vinyl. Okay, sure. It's like the, the article on the site that I wrote about um, the ritual. And the thing I noticed about music in the di- like digital music is it's just noise. It's 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 become just background. Yeah, it's always there. It is. It's easy to get. It's easy to find. You play it a bunch of times, but nothing really sticks. Whereas, I got. Um, I said to a friend recently, if I I could have probably just bought fifty one fifty on vinyl and stopped there because <laughs> yeah. I play that constantly. Yeah, yeah. And the the weird thing was though, before I bought it, I I I'd kind of misremembered the album. Whereas like, ah, oh, you know, it's it's a nice to have. And I bought it and, you know, because you've got to sit down, you listen to a side and you're like, everything comes flooding back from yeah. years of listening to that album when it first came out on cassette, which is how I had it originally. And, you know, there's nostalgia and all sorts of personal things tied up in that. But for me, it's just rebuilding my relationship with music. Yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, totally personally. Like, I, it's I'm not a commentary on how anyone else listens not, to of, music. Of I, course not. There's, not bothered at all. Yeah, I, everybody listens to different things as well. And the way you hear something might be completely different to how somebody hears something else. Um, David Lynch, who I love... Uh, when he was making Twin Peaks, he says specifically that Twin Peaks is designed for TV because like, he loves the idea that he's able to broadcast this show to a million different people and all of them will see something different because the TV might be in a different corner of the room or it might be a different model of TV or it might be a warbly different thing. And like, it's such an interesting way of thinking about it, but he really is thinking about that end consumer's experience with this media that he's made. Uh, I don't know. I love David Lynch. Let's do it. Let's do a David Lynch podcast. Um, but I don't know. I I think that's dead on. Like what you make will not necessarily be consumed in the same way by everybody. Yeah, I mean, or thought about in the same it, way. It's, it's almost become cliche, but um, there's an element of truth in it. Obviously, to for it to become cliche is that um, once you've produced it, it belongs to whoever can find it. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's the in the era of streaming mm. I mean that was one of the questions I had was uh, how has streaming affected your approach to music but I think you've kind of covered that with you know uh, going back into the myspace myspace ah oh, myspace yeah calling back to myspace yeah. um, and that sort of changes the way that you produce music as well yeah for sure I feel like I'm lucky in that I've I was raised at a time when sort of streaming was becoming popular and my uh, passion for making music has sort of escalated as the popularity of streaming has escalated. I think I'm lucky in the regard that I'm relatively aware of the streaming services that are out there and available to me, but that is changing. Like on a yearly basis, there'll be new methods of delivering music. There'll be new methods of uh getting your stuff out there that I'm just not familiar with. I can't keep up with it. It moves very, very rapidly. Um, that's not really a lament. I, I wish I had sort of, I guess, the motivation to pick it up and figure it all out. Like I don't really know how to use streaming to the best of my abilities at the moment, but I haven't approached it very deliberately. I've just sort of put it out there and hoped for the best. Um, yeah. And to me, it's almost secondary. Like I say, my main love is writing and recording the songs, the distribution of it. It's interesting, but it's not a passion of mine. Yeah. yeah, see, it's interesting, yeah, yeah, the era you grew up with. I grew up in the era where 
musicians slash rock stars mm. owned castles. Yeah. And and you hear what people lamenting that? that now. And yeah, saying, where's like, my castle? Oh, why why, why <laughs> can't rock stars have castles anymore? Why, you know, not to that extreme, but for sure. you know, like call back to when you know, mm. hair metal ruled the world and they were selling 10 million albums or whatever. Yeah. Um, and there's people that sort of lament that as if we've lost something. No, uh, I, but to I me, it's like, it's just changed. It has changed. The landscape is totally different and there's more music than ever now. I think... The people that will be getting annoyed about that are musicians, which is interesting to me because there's so much more music out there. Like, So the percentage of people that would be bitter about this is way off. It's just a small vocal group of people that feel like, I don't know, they're hard done by it because like, they can't profit off, off the music they make. But for me, it's not about the profit at all. I It would be nice to see more dollars in my bank account, but I'm happy where I am. I'm happy to work just to make the music that I want to make. Um, it's just about making that music, and I don't know if if somebody listens to it and tells me they like it, like that is, I I never know how to respond to it, but it does mean a lot to me, you know. Like I I don't take compliments very well, but it it does. It's like well that's fantastic. Like I'm really like I want what I want to do is sit down with them and be like, okay, so what did you like about it? I'll take notes. <laughs> I'll get really obsessive about it. Well, so tell me what you liked about this. Um, <laughs> You know, you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> and, and that is weird. I'm not really that interested in doing it, but I am really, you know, very happy if people like a song I've made. Yeah. Awesome. So. Well, we've exhausted my cards. Oh, okay. We're out of cards. Uh, again, for the people playing at home, I've arranged my questions on yeah. little cards. I, I do have some degree of organization here. Um, so I think that's probably a good place to end. Okay, sure. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Uh, not really. What? Uh what else have you been listening to recently? I want to close with this. Okay. What, oh. what music have you been listening to recently? Oh, no, the, the spotlight's turned on me. No, nah, look, I, uh, the only reason I'm here is because I love music. <laughs> uh, I love talking about music and I love listening to music. So what have you been listening to lately? Um, I uh, I got given 19 uh, records when I was in Mexico that I've been working my way through. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Like, Are they Mexican bands or just... No, they're... Oh, wow. um, it's it's a really interesting story, okay. I hope. But um, no, it's uh, my partner's uncle. Okay. I met him the last time I was there and I was playing music and playing guitar and singing some songs. And uh, he must have taken note because uh, he came in and he said, oh, got, you know, he's got some albums. And, you know, he doesn't speak English. I, my Spanish is a bit ordinary. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, through translations, um, he's like, oh, would you be interested in a couple of Judas Priest records? Oh. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Man, would is he, I? Is he barking up the right tree or what? You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, so he had Unleashed in the East and British Steel. Mm. Uh, so he said, I'll go and get them. And he comes back with this stack of all these records. <laughs> That's awesome. And, um, so you got the Judas Priest discography from Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and a lot of them are Mexican editions, That's which is awesome. pretty wild too. Yeah. I love it when... There's odd tour outtakes and just live versions of songs that end up on different country releases. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I spent years thinking the version of like some Foo Fighters album I had was the definitive edition. It had like three bonus songs on the end that nobody had ever heard of. It's great. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I've, I've been listening to a lot of that stuff. There's like uh, a lot of it's bands that I'm curious about, yeah, sure. but I'm not compelled to buy their music. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, like Yes and yep. um, yes. 
Chicago. Yes. Um, some of the. <laughs> yeah. My favorite band to talk about is Yes. <laughs> it's so positive. Every conversation you have with them is positive. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Well, can I point you down a weird musical rabbit hole that I've been down? Sure. I've been doing a deep dive on the work of Andrew WK recently. I've got some Andrew WK. Oh, man. He is something else. And. Like, you can approach him sort of ironically as like, yeah, it's time to party or whatever. You can approach him completely uh, unironically and passionately and you'll find a lot to enjoy there as well. Um, okay. Also, his live band, this would be particularly interesting to you. His live band for years included Dave Mustaine. I know it, right? Uh, it? The original drummer from Obituary, who's like this old hardcore band, and uh, Jim Martin from Faith No More. I know. Uh, so, I'm going to... Let you do some Did you exploring. say Dave Mustaine? I did say Dave Mustaine. There's videos of him playing in his band on SNL. Like, it's insane. I, I know. And people think Andrew WK is just this party guy. He is, but he's a lot more as well. No, so, you've broken my brain. Yeah, you've I'm officially sorry. broken my mind trying yeah. to imagine Dave Mustaine not in Megadeth. He's there wearing shorts. Like, and this, no, wearing shorts uh, wearing, as well. Wearing shorts. I know. Oh, like, God. he'd never be allowed in the mafia. <laughs> You're not allowed to wear shorts if you're in the market. Oh, man, I've got to look this up. This, this might yeah, change my whole perception of Dave Mustaine. I, I thought if anybody appreciated that trivia, it'd be you. Dave Mustaine and Jim Martin. Well, not at the same time, surely. At exactly the same time, playing the same songs on stage as a backing band to Andrew WK. So what, they're playing... So you've got two guitarists playing Black Sabbath riffs at roughly different speeds. In an speeds. Andrew WK show, you've got six guitarists. <laughs> like, like, dude lives in excess, you know? Like, right. Anyway, that's my current obsession. So I get kind of obsessive about bands. This has been a weird sidetrack at the end of the podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's okay. It's been educational. Oh, I've learned things about Dave Mustaine I didn't know. Ah, I love it. People can learn more about Andrew WK. <laughs> Please do. If everybody that listened to this podcast went out and listened to one Andrew WK song, I feel like I've made the world a better place. <laughs> also, my songs, you know, that's yeah, fine and, and too. Also, but no, really, I'm just here to talk about Andrew WK. <laughs> and, and also make sure you pick up the Night Moves cassette. Yeah, you can get it. Uh, you can put it in your Walkman. You can put it in your Walkman. You can put it in your tape deck. You can put it in your car's tape deck as well. But nowhere else. <laughs> um, uh, you can get it at Clarity Records. You can also buy it online at rottendevice.bandcamp.com. Hopefully I'll have a better web shop up soon. That's something we could have spent another hour talking about, my frustrations with e-commerce. But yeah, we'll, we'll leave that alone for now. All right, man. Thanks for doing this. It's been great. Yeah, no, thanks. thanks so much for having me. No problem, man. So, I haven't been able to confirm Dave Mustaine or Jim Martin's involvement with Andrew WK. So, if you know something about this, please hit us up on Facebook and let us know. I'm absolutely fascinated by the possibility of Dave Mustaine performing in shorts. In the meantime, check out McQueen Live on Thursday the 13th of December at the Hotel Metro and on Wednesday the 9th of January at the Crown and Anchor Hotel. You can find the Night Moves cassette at Clarity Records or at rottendevice.bandcamp.com. Check out our show notes for links to more McQueen and a bunch of other stuff we talked about in this episode. And as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>